0: We connect people with the things they love, but we specifically do so through the lens of the individual. What we do, I think, uniquely well is show you what it's like to be in someone else's shoes or give you a peek behind the curtain.
1: Welcome to Teach Me Something New. I'm your host, Britt Morin, and this is a production of iHeartRadio and Britton Co., my life, everyone's told me I should focus on being good at one thing. But the truth is, I'm curious about a lot of things. But how do you learn about everything? The answer, make the world's best experts teach you in less than an hour. So come along with me as we all learn something new. In today's episode, we're sitting down with the head of Instagram, Adam Masseri. My husband, Dave, who not only worked at Facebook in the early days, but also launched and sold his own social network called Path, joins me as we all discuss what's going on in our modern social media world. Hey guys, it's Brit, and I'm back with the one and only Mr. Dave Morin my husband, my partner in crime on just about everything. Hey Brett. work and life related. And we are really pumped about our guest today. We are so happy to call this man a colleague and a friend. We've had all kinds of life adventures together for over a decade now. And for has all it really of you, been that long? I think it has. I think it has, wow. yeah. Dave, you're killing my lead here. Okay, all of you out there, we're just going to get to it. You might have heard of him. He runs a little social media platform called Instagram. He is Adam Masseri. Welcome, Adam.
0: Thank you for having me. You're
1: here. Thank you. Okay. It's good to have you, man. So let's just get to it. Adam Masseri is here to teach us something new about leading one of the largest social media platforms in the world. All right. So I'm not sure how many people know this, Adam, but is it true you started as, as a designer at Facebook?
0: I did. I did. I started as a product designer. Back in 2008, July 08.
1: July 08, so you've been there for almost 12 years.
0: We actually worked together. We did, we overlapped. When Mm -hmm. you say it out loud, 12 years, though, it sounds like too many. Mm -hmm. (laughs) it really does.
1: Okay, so what were the last 12 years like then in terms of moving from designer to head of Instagram? Was this ever something you were expecting?
0: I love design. I I learned a lot um, from my time as a designer. I don't think I was ever that great a designer. I was sort of a middle of the pack. But design taught me a lot about problem solving and structured thinking. I'm, I'm going to get it wrong, but so Charles and Ray Eames, a, a husband and wife couple that you two are familiar with. Well,
1: Just, also, Eames is the middle name of our second child, Austin. Oh, forgot
0: about That's that. That's how much
1: we love Charles and we Ray love Eames. We love them. Yeah. yeah. So
0: Charles Eames, I think, had a definition of design, which I'm going to botch, unfortunately. But I think it was arranging elements to accomplish a particular purpose. Uh, So it's a very Mm. broad definition, but I think a lot of strong designers take broad definitions of design. And I think I learned a lot from my time there in that world. But I just was better as a PM because I'm not great at anything. I just am, like, reasonable (laughs) at a large number of things. (laughs) That's how I feel, too. That's
1: why I'm doing this podcast because I'm trying to learn a lot about all the things so I can be a good generalist.
0: Yeah, exactly. I'm absolutely a generalist. And so uh, that— that fit We me all better. have that in common. Yeah. <laughs> mm-hmm. And so, no, I never would have expected it. But it um this sort of type of role, PM, and then eventually my role now, it just is a better fit. And, and I romanticize the opposite. I think, like, to be an amazing designer, an amazing machine learning engineer, or an amazing analyst, like, I think that's the coolest.
1: To be a, I, a specialist.
0: Yeah, but that's just, <laughs> it's just not me. But for
1: all of you generalists out there, you too might... One day be the head of Instagram. So <laughs> yeah, indeed. it's the sky's the limit. Mm-hmm. Can you explain what design thinking is as someone who's a mediocre designer?
0: Yeah, that's what. Yeah, as, as the industry expert on in mediocrity for design, <laughs> I will now declare what design thinking is. <laughs> I think design thinking means different things to different people. I I have always thought about it as structured problem solving, and when you say it, it always seems super simple or even trite, but essentially being super clear about what your intention is, about what the different ways of accomplishing that intention might be, and then what the trade-offs are between those, and the process of evaluating those options and iterating through them is how I think about design thinking. So let's say we were going to, I don't know, design a table for where we're sitting right now. For those of you who can't see, we've got this like four foot diameter round table here. An interesting design problem would be like, what's the best table for this? Right now, like Dave's kind of shoved in the corner. We've uh, <laughs> got the mics connected to other to be tables. To
1: Dave and Adam are both like 6'5 and 6'3. Mm-hmm. So shoved in the corner is largely because they have very long legs. It's yeah, actually great.
2: Could
0: design the table better. <laughs> well, I think the table is great. But I think mm-hmm. like if you, you could come up with a bunch of different ideas and you would try a couple, you would see what works. And the process of being generative, coming up with those ideas, Thinking through the trade-offs and then coming up with the best table you can come up with would be like a design process. So it would require design thinking.
1: So it's about the user experience at the end of the day.
0: Usually, yeah. Now, what user means different things in different contexts, right? right? So, But you might be, you know, if you're designing an ads interface, the user is the advertiser. But usually in in the world of social media, when you talk about user, you're talking about the end consumer.
1: The user. And I actually yeah. think that's an interesting segue into my next point because Facebook slash Instagram, Facebook owns Instagram, is notorious for using data to define what users want. But you have this interesting historical past of design thinking and intuitively feeling and knowing what users want or asking them what they want. And so have there been times throughout your journey, and especially now as head of Instagram, where you've had to make some hard decisions where you're refuting the data and honoring what you think the users want instead, even if it doesn't show itself?
0: Definitely. When you work on something like social media, you're making lots of different decisions, and decisions like anywhere else require a whole bunch of different inputs. The data, which is usually like behavioral data, so like how much are people liking things, or how much are people logging in, etc., is one input into that decision, but ultimately there are other inputs too. There might be context about what's happening in the world right now. There might be some sort of intuition about what feels right. There might be competitive effects that might be regulatory concerns or legal concerns all these things are inputs and then you make a decision once you figure out how to weigh those apples and oranges and giraffes sort of against each other and that's sort of the trick but yeah we make decisions that are not good from a data perspective but when we think they're the right thing to do because we use judgment on a frequent basis sometimes there's some data on the other side so for instance we will remove inauthentic accounts even though like our engagement numbers will go down because We don't want inauthentic engagement, so that's a judgment call. We do that all the time. Sometimes it's trickier where the the value is very difficult to measure. And I think that's one of the key things is in a a business or a world or, or maybe a context like ours, you have to be cognizant of your bias towards overvaluing the things that are easier to measure. Mm-hmm. If you're trying to make informed decisions, you're trying to measure the pros and cons. That's a good thing. But you're naturally going to more often value the things that you can measure compared to the things that you can't. And so, you know, ranking in my time in newsfeed was like a like canonical example was what people do and what people, how people feel. Right? like You can measure that they like things, you can measure that they comment on things, you can measure that they share things. You, It's much more difficult to measure how they feel about the quality of their experience over the long run. And so you'll naturally bias towards the former over th- at the expense of the latter, and you need to correct for that bias.
2: I think that people don't give you enough credit for this. I think that you as a leader in product and the internet um, and technology have perhaps more courage in this respect than almost anybody in the... I really can't even... You know, name anybody else that's leading a product of the scale that you are that has had the guts to make those types of decisions. And in particular, I remember one we were talking about your decision to remove the—I I can't remember the what you called it—but the activity, oh, uh, the following tab, yeah, the following tab in the notifications. You know, that was a, something that a lot of people loved. I'm sure by numbers, it was a small feature. It's it's not a default view, but I'm sure there were a lot of people that used it. You should see my DMs, and were very passionate about it. But you know, it really did, um, I think, change behavior and that you know, when you knew that feature existed as a just an everyday user, I think you probably liked a few less things because you didn't want people to see you were liking this thing or that thing. And you know that that probably changed those people's behavior and the way they feel about the product in such a way that you know taking that out was a hard decision. And I think you see this happen where a lot of people that run these other products they don't make any changes because either the data says so or it's just been the same this way for so long we're just not going to change it and taking out a feature like that is a big deal and I don't feel like there's any amount of data that could convince you to do it so you really do have to run on feeling to some extent
0: Yeah I mean I appreciate the kind words that one was an interesting one sometimes the way to manage that sort of bias is to just do the hard work to figure out how to better measure the thing that is difficult to measure. Mm. And sometimes you just got to make a call based on your judgment. Yeah, And the former is easier at a big company once you've got that data, but it's sometimes impossible or mm-hmm. sometimes not worth the effort because maybe it'll take years to measure things properly. For those of you who don't know, the following tab was, if you go to the, what we call the activity tab, what most people call notifications, so the little heart tab, you can see, you know, everyone who's liked your photos and that sort of thing. And we had a secondary tab there where you could see essentially what the people you followed were doing. So you could see, you know, what photos they liked recently. It's actually a pretty cool way to learn about new stuff. It just is a little creepy.
1: A little stalkery. A little
0: stalkery. Yeah. And when we unship that, we we have a sort of a I don't know what to call it, but like a... I've never heard on before. Yeah, we call it on because <laughs> oh. We have on yeah. So I like that. I, I, don't, yeah. I don't know what to call it. Is, like, is it a work stream? Is it a project? Is it an area? I don't know. It's a thing <laughs> where we try and on things. and oh, cool. So we value a lot of things at Instagram, but the three primary values in how we approach our work are people first, simplicity, and craft. And to pursue those, to keep people in mind and to keep the app simple and to really hold a high bar for craft one of the things that we try and do is unchip things. Because if you always just add forever, the inevitability is that the Instagram is going to become complicated and difficult to use and not, not be great at what it's for. So that was one of those.
1: Is likes another example of that?
0: Likes? You're making like counts private? Yeah, in spirit. I, th- I think <laughs> is probably the concise answer to that. I'm excited about this. So For those of you who don't know, we're exploring removing public like counts. So essentially as you scroll through a feed, you can See photos, you can see that people liked something, you just can't see how many people liked it unless it was the thing that you posted, the photo or video that you posted. The idea being to depressurize the experience. Now, I want to be clear, though this is inspired by our research and our thinking around well-being and social comparison and particularly young people, it's not something that I think is going to move well-being in a measurable way. Well-being is a, you know, in mental health or medical, there's a lot of medical research and the medical terms behind that. So I don't want to claim that this is like good for people's health. I think that's like going too far. But I do think that depressurizing the experience, particularly for young people, and given that Instagram is strong with young people, is a worthy enough cause to try and see if we can make this thing work. Now, there's a bunch of downsides here. It, It make it harder to see what's relevant on Instagram. And that's a big thing. Um, that's a big part of what Instagram is about, is seeing what's trending, what's going on. Uh, it might make the experience uh, less engaging or more difficult to use. It might cost us revenue. These are It might upset creators. These are all risks that we're currently working through. But in, we believe that it is interesting and, and compelling enough to try and work through those things.
1: This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Switching gears, Adam, you have two young boys. I do. And a third on the way.
0: A third boy.
1: Much respect. (laughs) We have two young boys, pretty much the same age as yours, and we're tired a lot. Um, But let's talk about social media with kids. I guess first off, what's your take on posting photos of them? I know that you actually do that often. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: Is that a conversation you had with Monica? Yeah. (laughs) How did that go?
0: It went reasonable at the sort of a delicate subject. One of the things that I've had to start to think about in the last year or two that I didn't have to think about nearly as much before is just security or generally. That just comes along with the role. It's an amazing role. I'm so grateful for the opportunity, but it does come with a certain amount of complexity. And then when you have kids that just makes those security concerns that much more important. And so with with Nico and Blaze, i do share about them but i try to be very careful about how i share about them there's certain things i won't share i certainly don't let people know where i am when i'm there i pretty much only post them to stories because it it's ephemeral it sort of fades away and i try to do so in moderation i have other ways of sharing their lives you know our family and our closest friends and i can do that much more actively and then i do so but on my main account i try to be um, careful about security broadly, and just generally not giving them too much exposure. Um, as if and when my profile increases, that you know, I might have to back up, back off even further. And I think that's that, that's an ongoing conversation with my wife. And we, I want to always make sure that we're on the same page.
2: Do you think that's unique to you, or is this a thing that everyone has to think about?
0: I think that. As you, if you become a public figure, I think that there become new types of risks. And so the there are more things to think about, but also the things that everyone has to think about, you just have to have a higher bar for or think about more. But in general, I think it's important for everyone to be thoughtful about how they share online and understand what's private and what's not and understand the implications of what it would be to share that type of information. I still think it's important to be careful about what you share, who you share with and how you share. Um, I just think for me, there's a, a broader set of implications.
1: What do you think about making their own Instagram accounts for them? Like, and at what age will they take over or get to delete all the photos?
2: This is a very real question because our yeah. five-year-old is like more sophisticated at computers than me now. And he's already <laughs> yeah. got accounts on things and, I kind of can't believe it, but then I remember what I was like back then. so, yeah. you know. Well, he's definitely a not a He's
0: not lot on Instagram, yeah. so don't tell me about it. If <laughs> it's an Instagram well, your right. kids
1: are technically on Instagram through your an account you made them.
0: Yeah, so I've made ac- I've made accounts for both of my boys that I manage. Even if it's a Finsta, it's essentially a fi- it's kind of like a Finsta. It's a yeah. second. It's not a fake Insta. It's like my. It's another account. I
2: always thought Finsta meant friend Insta. Usually <laughs> fake, fake Insta. Insta. Well, oh, usually right?
0: so like if you're a teen, you usually have like. You usually have a main Instagram, which is, like, the one that everyone knows. And then you have a Finsta, which is, like, your close friends.
2: Yeah, but I thought the F
0: stood for friends, not fake. That depends who you talk to. <laughs> In Japan, actually, <laughs> often there these micro Finstas. So the three of us might each have an account that's only following mm. the three of us. We're so, starting that.
1: Oh, like a family account would All be right, a good purpose. right, we're going to do this
0: tomorrow. Well, for so them. this is actually three separate accounts that only follow each other. So you have your own little micro version of Instagram oh. world. Hmm. Shared accounts are another big thing with young people so you you know you you the three of us could have one account that we share so we like, all post to yeah hmm. that happens a lot and then hmm. more interest based accounts is another one so maybe I'm really into baking and I don't want people to know about it but I have my baking account my baking identity but is the
1: key is that most of these are private and your kids are private
0: yeah so the kids are private I manage them Um, it's a way for me to share their stories of their upbringing with our family and our friends. And we've got family and friends all over the world at this point. And they're just, just, that's actually one of the most meaningful parts about Instagram to me is these two private accounts that are actually quite small and small followings. Now I'll have to give them the accounts at some point. Uh, and so, you know, you can't be on Instagram until you're 13 and I'm sure they'll immediately delete, or if I'm lucky, archive all of the content, (laughs) and that'll be sad. Um, But I do think that, you know, at some point, you've got to trust your children, and then, but you also have to help train them up. So a lot of different people do different things. Some some of my friends with older kids let them use accounts on Instagram and Facebook, but insist on having access to them so that they can sort of audit the behavior. I was
2: going to ask, do you think that do you think it should be sooner? I I saw over the holidays or uh, maybe it was Thanksgiving that Facebook now has a messenger for kids. Messenger kids, yeah. And I was thinking, you know, maybe Instagram should do that because there's a, I think 13 is pretty old in terms of how kids are interacting with technology. You know, they've got iPads, they want to play with things. And so you want to learn earlier. And so, you know, maybe that's something that, should exist.
1: I if there know. weren't a law, would you make the age younger to join Instagram?
0: To be clear, we can make a version of Instagram for people under 13. We just have them, it comes along with a bunch of obligation, regulatory yeah. obligations, regulatory obligations. Would you do
1: Instagram kids? then, you, I it's guess. It's more
0: like, do you think that. There is that a be.
1: valuable tool think, for kids under 13?
0: I think there is probably a version of Instagram that is limited in some way that would be really valuable for kids under 13. I think that if we were going to take that on, we want to make sure that we could. One, it could be sufficiently compelling to, to, it's safe. to, to yep. say two it could be safe and three it would be compliant with whatever the what all the regulations, which, by the way, vary a lot yeah, from do. country to country. Um, I'd actually love to take that on. For us, though, it's always about, you know, how many resources do we have and what is the most effective way of creating more value for the people who use Instagram every day? And is it this or is it something else?
1: Hmm. What do you think social media will be in 10 years? as our kids do become 13. (laughs) And is it still gonna be Instagram like we know it today? Will there be something new that they are using?
0: Is it impossible to call? I think 10 years is real tough. I think the big question in 10 years is... I
2: mean, it goes back to when we were working at Facebook together, like how much has happened in the last 10 years, it's crazy.
0: It's unbelievable. The thing that we don't have the answer to that is sort of upstream from being able to answer your question more specifically is, how much are we gonna have a form factor or device like a phone? You know, if we have a six inch glowing rectangle that's connected to the internet, then I think a lot of things will be different, but fundamentally, if that is the centerpiece, our portal or our primary way into the digital world, then it'll be different, but it'll be different in the margins. If, whether it's wearables or something else, becomes ubiquitous and we get sort of untethered from this device, and maybe it's one other device or two other devices, or maybe it's just ambient everywhere, how we like make phone calls, text people, express ourselves online,
1: then it's really hard
0: to say, Mm -hmm. given that we are, you know, we're about expression, we're about sharing your stories. Um, What does that look like Mm. if the form factor is different, is super open? Obviously, we at Facebook are excited about VR and AR long term, but it is just so early.
1: Right. Like 10 years might be when that's actually happening. It makes me
2: think of this question, I hadn't thought of this before we started, but what Is Instagram? You know, to answer the question of what does it look like in ten years, like, what is it? You know, I think there's a lot of different answers to that question.
0: Technically, I think the like the dry answer, but the most straightforward and honest answer is that it is, I think, a platform for communities. I think the primary thing we do, or the most important thing we do, is we connect people with those that they care about. For young people it's unfortunately often not their family it's you know close friends for people like us it's family too but then on top of that foundation we connect people with the things they love but we specifically do so through the lens of the individual what we do i think uniquely well is show you what it's like to be in someone else's shoes or give you a peek behind the curtain we're not the best place to watch sports highlights we're we might be the best place to keep up with athletes we're not the best place to listen to music at all we are maybe the best place to see what it's like to be a musician or to be in a musician's life mm. so that is our sweet spot the we are a tool that empowers individuals some are, you know might just just be average folk and some of them might be wildly hugely famous but we empower individuals regardless up and down with the ability to express themselves and then and therefore connect with the others who are expressing themselves and I think that is that's the inter- that's the heart of it. So you know if in 10 years you know everyone's wearing AR glasses, I don't know how feed works or what our business model is necessarily, but I am pretty sure our focus will be on helping people tell their stories
1: on that topic a little bit. As we're extrapolating what 10 years looks like. I'm actually curious how people around the world are using Instagram. What's the weirdest thing that's always been the most popular?
0: As a feature or like an actual Like an actual thing.
1: content. Like, pimple the, popping the videos? Kit, the kitten? Really? Pimple popping.
0: People like this is it's subsided a little bit.
1: What's the most popular animal?
0: Oh, I don't know. I could guess. What's your guess? Know. Cats or dogs. Yeah, it's gonna be
1: kittens or puppies.
0: I if it, worldwide I think it's gotta like be cat, I think it's got to be cats worldwide.
1: You think really kittens? Yeah, kittens or World cats? Worldwide,
0: I remember. I remember cats when always I, win the internet, right? Cat, yeah, cats. Mm. Cats tend to went onto Facebook side. Like Korea is interesting. There's a lot of video consumption. Facebook does really well, by the way, in, in a lot of Asia right now.
2: Who's T- number one right now? In what sense? Like the biggest celebrity?
1: Oh, oh. celebrity.
0: Is it the Rock? No, it's no. um.
1: Isn't it Selena, Selena or, t- or
0: Taylor? No, um, Ariana Grande. Really? Is, Number one? Is way up there. Selena Gomez is way up there. She's uh, Ronaldo. So oh, R- yeah. Ronaldo is pushing 200. Wow.
1: Is that the biggest?
0: I think it might be now. Ronaldo. Selena Gomez used to have it. Then I think it was Ariana Grande. I think it might not be Ronaldo.
1: Okay, Adam, do you have any new product features you want to tell us about?
0: We've been doing a lot of bullying. Oh,
1: that's uh, cool.
0: So we launched Restrict. Did you guys see that? Yes, and I think it's great. So Restrict is uh, it's more designed for teens, but it helps public figures too. But for those of you who don't know what it is, so if you talk to teenagers and you ask them, why don't you just block someone who's bullying you, you usually get two answers. Uh, one is fear of escalation. Like, yeah. they're not only on Instagram. They like got to see them at school. Yep. And they'll know that you blocked them and there's gonna be some repercussions there. And two is that they're talking about you and you need to be able to track what they're saying. And if you block them, they don't exist on Instagram for you anymore and you can't see what they're saying, so you can't go around and do the damage control you need to do. So Restrict tries to give some power to the target of bullying um, by allowing them to approve someone's comments that they restrict on their stuff before it actually goes through and allows them to read the messages that someone sends you without sending red receipts, but without letting the actor of bullying actually know. So you, you, you maintain plausible deniability.
2: Yeah, this is huge. And ele- mm. implementing this elegantly is
0: very hard. Mm. Yeah, it's been tricky. needs to do this. It's a tricky one, and I think we're going to add more features to it over time. And we want to be even careful about how much we talk about those features because we want to maintain yeah. people's ability to use it without fear of anyone knowing that they're using it. It's hard, and so that's the tricky thing. But it's a, it's a, it's a, it's been growing, which has been great to see. And it's been one piece of a sort of a broader focus on aggressive behavior or bullying online. And you know, we would like to be um, leading on that issue. The other thing that we get a lot on this, and this is much more from the public figure side, is requests to do more to clean up comments. Mm. Hmm. Comments don't seem to be. Can you ne- turn them off? You can turn them off on a per post basis, but oh, people yeah, so. are hesitant to do that. Hmm. But I think there's a lot that we can do in that space, but usually, but it, it's just not nearly as hard. problematic from a like 14 year old perspective as it is from like a public figure perspective. Like, actually, who was it? Was it Cardi B? I think it was Cardi B had this amazing post about making like counts private. Yeah. And she has this... What 3 was min- her point of view? She has a three-minute video on Instagram. You should check it out. And you can't see her face. You can only see the top of her hair because she said she didn't like how she looked. I think she said she looked like a chopped sandwich. <laughs> and then she just goes she's on great. this thing about... Yeah, she's amazing. I love her. <laughs> Unbelievably and good. And she's like, she's like, she's like, oh, they're taking away the likes, but what they really should do is clean up the comments. And it's like, she just goes on this thing for like ah. three minutes about it. And I think she's Right for people like her. That's yeah. the more meaningful thing to do. But for, for teenagers... What does that
1: mean to clean up comments?
0: I think we we don't know yet. The If you are a public figure, you get a lot of comments. You can there's spam people just trying to, you know, there's a lot of first you know, that mm. kind of thing. But there can be harassment and there can be aggressive sort of interactions. And so we could help you sort them. We could help you moderate them. We could help you clean them up. We do nudges right now. So if you comment something that seems to be aggressive, we say, are you sure you want to comment that?
1: Oh, and, interesting um
0: and that's people they slam that one all the time because like look if someone's going to be a jerk they're just going to be a jerk and the truth is yeah most of the time there's no one silver bullet for any of these problems but we hope that these types of things add up and it this looks- is
2: definitely under talked about you know yeah people uh frequently when they're begging mm-hmm. social media platforms for new features they don't take into account these types of ideas where if, if you just put a simple little tax in, right, or, or even you just say literally, hey, are you sure you want to say that? Yeah. It actually is quite effective. And um, people just uh, don't – I guess most people don't see it. Yeah. <laughs> so it's hard for them to know what it feels like to get one of those. But It's a it, it classic is really debate works.
1: about whether Facebook and Instagram should interfere with free speech or not, right? Yeah.
0: Yeah. Well, what I like about the nudge, and we do this for both comments and not for posts – is that we don't prevent you from saying what you want to say. We just create an extra step and make sure you feel good about it and make it easy to undo if you don't. And most people probably just keep saying what they would say anyway, but if a reasonable minority change, then it is absolutely worth the cost it took
1: us to do that. I've never gotten the nudge, so I feel good about my you Maybe you
0: should just... What yeah. do you think of all these
2: people that make these types of things usually have a business of some kind? Mm-hmm. Are there types of businesses that you want people to be in? It strikes me that some of these folks that are... They built a big photography thing or, you know, things that are in conflict with the larger... Facebook and Instagram advertising ecosystem, like they may not have a business long-term. And so what type of businesses do you want to support? Um, Like how do you want people making money? Because I I hear this actually question more lately. Uh,
0: I don't know why, um, but. There are a couple of different things to say there. So so if you look at the business side, the group that we care most about is a group that we call creators. So public figures, influencers, these all overlap, but essentially the individuals behind the crafts. And we just think that's, Important because that's what people care about. That's what people. Now, are we want. talking
2: about people like that we just said, like Ariana Grande and The Rock, that are big celebrities? They've got movies and things they're doing over here, and then they come to Instagram. Or are you talking about people that built up their themselves on Instagram?
0: Both, yeah, both. I think I think, mean, and honestly, I'm most excited about the tale I'm most excited about those small creators, like the illustrator in Italy who draws on top of draws on top of his photography and makes some cool tells cool stories, all the way up to The Rock. The reason why I'm excited about niche and smaller creators is because the whole promise of the internet and the promise of making, giving everyone the ability to express themselves and giving everyone a platform is that we should all be able to learn about and connect to things that we love that we didn't even know existed. We don't have to listen to the same 40 songs. I mean, you might learn that you're in Afropunk and you might learn you're into like minimal tech house. and like. That's cool, and you wouldn't know that. I
1: don't even know what that is, so exactly. I might be into Minimal you might, Tech You apps, might, you might. I need to find that <laughs> You yes.
0: actually have friends who are. <laughs> she needs to hang out on to the mission If mark. I had yeah.
1: a stalker feature function <laughs> where I could see the things you like. <laughs>
0: yeah, exactly. And so I think that's so interesting about the internet broadly and about these platforms like Instagram broadly. So whether it's news or entertainment or film or music, I'm really passionate about the niche. But we care about creators broadly. And then it's also because that's where that's where the world is moving to. People are more interested in the athlete than the team than they ever were before. They're more interested in actors relative to shows than ever before. You're seeing Netflix stars blow up before the show's even released. They n- announce it. And then, like, some actor who had 10,000 followers on Instagram hmm. will go to a million or two in a couple that. days um, before the show even gets dropped. This really? This was
1: just... My whole thesis of why I called it Brit & Co, not mm-hmm. because I wanted to be the center of the thing, and I had to explain this to a bunch of venture capitalists many, for many years, but because people want to associate themselves with people.
0: Yeah. And they want authentic stories, and they want to connect. And so we're focused on creators, and there's a bunch of different business models to help support creators. But we also focus a lot on businesses.
1: Dave, do you have any final questions for Adam? Because I just have one.
0: Yeah, I, I'm actually wondering, what's the hardest experience been for you? Being the head of Instagram. I mean, there's different types of hard experiences. Um, One type is, you know, when you get really deep into the integrity and safety issues and you get out there on the road and you hear difficult stories and you get slammed and that kind of thing. That isn't as hard as it probably should be for me just because for some good reasons and bad reasons, the good reasons are, you know, usually you care... Deeply about the issue too, and you've got that aligned, and so it's okay to get slapped around a little bit if you feel like, you know, the person either you agree with the person or at least you know that the person is doing it for a good cause. And then the other reason is just I've become a bit desensitized after being, you know, representing newsfeed publicly to publishers for so long. It's pretty. Well,
2: and you've been one of the only ones willing to go and engage in those conversations, yeah. particularly on Twitter. A lot of times,
0: Fed to the wolves out yeah. of <laughs> Twitter. My Twitter is a really dark place. I say this a lot, but it's because I follow all of our biggest critics. You like,
1: check every DM you get.
0: Uh, no, I close them. It was too much. But I
2: admire it, frankly. You know, I've never. I've always had a much more difficult time engaging with the with the critics. You know, it's it's difficult.
0: Yeah, it's it's emotionally taxing. I think what I actually find more Difficult though is if I feel like I failed in some significant way either like something happened that we could have foreseen and prevented like um you know we, some integrity problem popped up and we should have caught it ahead of time et etc or if I failed my people I mean if you run a large organization, people always think that you have all of this power and you make all these decisions and that's kind of true but the truth is it's all through other people. Mm-hmm. You're only as good as your people. You need great people and you need them to be motivated. And I try to instill a sense of family in the organizations that I lead. That's a little bit ambitious, um, but I I want there to be room for dissent. I want there to be trust. I want there to be um, hard conversations, but from a place of support and kindness. And when I fail my people, um, just me personally, that's, that's tough.
1: Hmm. I appreciate that. I think we all do, having hmm. been still our founders, CEOs, um, yeah. running organizations. My final question for you, Adam, is, okay, you've spent 12 years now almost at Facebook and Instagram.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: What have those 12 years taught you about what it is to be human?
0: I think a, a few different things come to mind. One, it's like people are complicated. To be human is to be complicated. You can have conflicting Beliefs, conflicting emotions, and they're both true, even though they're at odds. Like, I think a lot about for my ranking days, you know, people's short term and their long term interests, their first order and the second order preferences. Like, you want to get fit and go to the gym a lot, but you don't want to go to the gym when I call you at 6 a.m. tomorrow morning. Like, mm-hmm. those things are both true, though they're at odds. So, we are complicated. We also are mostly this is ironic to say after the first one, rational within our own local incentive structure. So most people will um, act rationally within the incentives of the system in which they're around. And so they will, you know, if it's, they'll do what's easier if it's in terms of sharing, but they'll also do what's easier. uh, You know, bad actors will also do what's easier. So for instance, if, I don't know, like, a you know, if it is, if you can post junk on the internet And you can pay $19 to create it and you get $20 worth of ads, like value from like some low quality ad network, not Facebook, you're going to do that because it's printing money all day long. And then if we can make it cost you $21, Mm. then you'll just stop doing it and you'll do something else bad. So we're like incentives are so, so important and managing an organization and managing an individual and managing a platform and that are really interesting emotional creatures. There's a richness to what we do and to how we interact and that is is like ironic maybe to say this too but in a, in a world where we like running a platform where we're constantly looking at data and what people are doing and how they're using the platform it is so clear to me after doing this for over 10 years that there's just so much nuance that is impossible to fully grasp and I think it's important to embrace that reality because otherwise you run the risk of sort of being overly confident Mm -hmm. in what you know and what you don't and that I think is just really problematic like what's it like false precision maybe Mm -hmm. it's like you know you think you understand what's going on like I think I kind of know why stories work and people don't comment and like in Japan but I don't know what that's like I'm not Japanese I've only been to Japan a few times like and so I think that humility Um, particularly in the face of how complicated we are as as humans, is super important if you're going to try to build something that a lot of people use. Mm
1: -hmm. And Probably never satisfy 100%. Oh, not even close. (laughs) Thank you so much for your time today. And where can we find you, Adam?
0: At on Instagram or Twitter. Thanks, Adam. (laughs) Thank you.
1: Thanks for listening to Teach Me Something New, a production of iHeartRadio and Brit Co., I'm your host, Britt Morin. Send us your feedback and find more information about each episode at Britt.co slash listen. You can also find me on social media, at Britt and at Britt Co. A special shout out to my two co-hosts, Ange, who you can find on Instagram, at Angelica Temple. And of course, my husband and partner in everything, Dave Morin. Teach Me Something New is executive produced by Christine Swar and Ali Perry, with additional production and sound design by Aaron Kaufman. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, check out the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. See you next time.